Thank you for standing by and welcome to Encino's third quarter fiscal year 2023 financial results conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you'll need to press star 1-1 on your telephone. As a reminder, today's program is being recorded. And now I'd like to introduce your host for today's program, Harrison Masters, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Good afternoon, and welcome to Encino's third quarter fiscal 2023 earnings call. With me on today's call are Pierre Naudet, Encino's Chairman and Chief Executive Officer, David Rudeau, Chief Financial Officer, and Josh Glover, President and Chief Revenue Officer. During the course of this conference call, we will make forward-looking statements regarding trends, strategies, and the anticipated performance of our business, including, without limitation, the acquisition and integration of Simple Nexus. These forward-looking statements are based on management's current views and expectations, entail certain assumptions made as of today's date, and are subject to various risk and uncertainties described in our SEC filings and other publicly available documents, the financial services industry, and global economic conditions. Encino disclaims any obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements. Further, on today's call, we will also discuss certain non-GAAP metrics that we believe aid in the understanding of our financial results. A reconciliation to comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release, which is available on our website and as an exhibit to the Form 8K furnished with the SEC just before this call. With that, I will now turn the call over to Pierre. Thanks, Harrison, and thank you all for joining us today. I'm extremely proud of our team's execution in the third quarter as we once again exceeded top and bottom line expectations. We generated $105.3 million in total revenues, including Simple Nexus, a 50% increase over the third quarter of fiscal 22. Subscription revenues were $88.3 million, an increase of 55% year over year. Excluding Simple Nexus, subscription revenues grew 28% organically. This quarter marked our first quarter with over $100 million in total revenues, and also our first profitable quarter on a non-GAAP operating income basis. For the past two earnings calls, we have emphasized our commitment to profitability in fiscal 24, and I'm very happy with the progress we have made to date. We plan to significantly increase our non-GAAP operating income next year and I will touch upon that shortly. On the customer front, we were pleased to issue a press release shortly before this call announcing that the Bank of New Zealand has selected the Encino Bank operating system as a foundational technology platform, making the Bank of New Zealand one of our largest customers globally. With over 55 billion US dollars in assets, Bank of New Zealand is one of the country's largest financial institutions. We couldn't be prouder to be in business with them and greatly appreciate the opportunity to showcase the value our solutions can bring to financial institutions around the globe. I'm also pleased that following the announcement last month of a successful go-live with Kiraboshi Bank in Tokyo, we have two additional go-lives in Japan in the quarter including SMBC Trust Bank. We are excited to see good momentum and traction in a market representing an estimated $1 billion opportunity. Among numerous other go-lives in the third quarter, our first customer in Germany is now live. 
Hamburg Commercial Bank, or HCOB, was recently recognized by Euromoney as the world's best bank transformation for 2022. We are honored to be their partner as they continue optimizing systems and processes to maintain their market leadership position. As I've mentioned before, getting customers live and reasonable is what we truly celebrate at Encino, and this is of particular importance in our newer markets. I also would like to highlight the performance of Simple Nexus business, which had another strong quarter under difficult market conditions. Simple Nexus grew total revenues 38% organically year over year and had six competitive takeaways and five cross-sell to Encino customers. Despite the current headwinds in the U.S. mortgage market, we believe the quality of this business, including its people, technology, and recurring subscription-based revenue model, positions us to continue to take market share and emerge on the other side of this rising interest rate environment as the clear leader in this space. Obviously, the macro environment remains top of mind. We have spoken with numerous customers and prospects about market conditions and their feedback has generally been positive, with banks and credit unions sharing that they are well capitalized, realizing improved net interest margins, and that credit risks are in check. This bodes well for Encino over the long term. Financial institutions remain focused on the need to digitally transform in order to be competitive and to better serve their clients, and as a result, our sales pipeline remains healthy and continues to grow nicely. That said, we are not tone deaf to external conditions and the bottom line expectations of the market, which have changed materially over the past year. Against the backdrop of macroeconomic and geopolitical uncertainty, we are seeing a more measured buying environment and increased executive scrutiny on purchasing decisions, particularly in Europe, which extend sales cycles and the time required to close deals. Additionally, FX headwinds and a challenging U.S. mortgage market persisted through the third quarter. So what does this mean for our business? Well, we actually view this more challenging macro environment as an opportunity to aggressively evolve from a best-in-class growth SaaS company into a best-in-class profitable growth SaaS company. With the investments we have already made in sales, products, customer support, professional services, and geographies, we are very well positioned to grow market share and continue leading the digital transformation of financial institutions around the world. On the bottom line, you have seen a significant improvement in our performance during the course of this fiscal year, and we expect that trend to continue next year and beyond as we further optimize our cost structure and drive more meaningful leverage on the expense side of the P&L. We have been able to accomplish this improved bottom line performance without changing our strategy or investment priorities, but instead through a more conservative approach to managing headcount and disciplined investment decision-making with an even more relentless focus on ROI. We have also been able to realize cost synergies from the Simple Nexus acquisition as the two businesses work more closely together and our integration activities accelerate. On the top line, the fourth quarter has typically been our strongest sales period, and we still have two months left in the fiscal year, 
So we will wait until our Q4 earnings call to provide specific financial guidance for fiscal 24. However, we think it is important in uncertain times to provide even greater visibility into our current thinking. As we factor in the impact of the three headwinds I mentioned earlier and the overall macro environment, we are currently planning for Encino to be a rule of 30 company next fiscal year with a mix between total revenue growth and non-GAAP operating income margin trending towards 20% and 10% respectively. We will accomplish this without changing our investment priorities, which remain making sure we have the right sales coverage for our addressable markets, that our support and professional services organizations provide the best customer experience in the industry, and that we continue investing in our product portfolio to extend our track record of innovation. With that, I'll turn the call over to Josh to go through more business highlights from the quarter. Josh? Thanks, Pierre. The Bank of New Zealand win was certainly a highlight of our continued success in Asia-Pac. We were pleased this quarter to also add a new logo in Australia with the government-sponsored lender and an expansion deal within a New Zealand bank for commercial pricing and profitability. The ability of our NIC products to embed intelligence, insights, and data into the bank operating system is a huge differentiator. Our NIC offerings are resonating with our customer base and are now a standard part of prospecting and expansion conversations. Also in the quarter, we signed an expansion deal for a new line of business with a big four UK bank, again demonstrating our success and adding value across business lines within our customer base. That customer's initial contract was signed in the first quarter of fiscal 23, so we expanded to a second business line in less than nine months. We also closed several solid multi-product commitments with new customers in the community and regional market this quarter. A few examples include our single platform vision, resonating with a $14 billion bank in Oklahoma, as they selected Encino for both commercial and retail lending. An agricultural lender selecting us for commercial and retail lending, deposit account opening, and treasury sales and onboarding, which will provide a true 360-degree view of their customer relationships and a $3 billion bank in Virginia, embracing Nick with their initial Encino contract, selecting us for commercial lending, pricing and profitability, and automated spreading, which will enable their commercial lending employees to compete with the largest financial institutions. We also had significant expansion deals with existing customers and the community regional market, including a $7 billion Colorado bank, expanding their use of Encino from commercial lending to add deposit account opening and treasury sales and onboarding and a $7 billion bank in Hawaii, adding retail lending and deposit account opening. Another highlight of the third quarter was our portfolio analytics team, signing the biggest deal in the history of that business with the addition of one of the largest credit unions in the world as a loan analytics customer. As Pierre mentioned, GoLives are our key measure of success here at Encino, and this quarter marked a record for successful implementations aided by a significant contribution from the portfolio analytics team as the CECL adoption deadline approaches our first commercial lending customer in Germany, a business banking customer in Canada, Japanese market early adopters, and a retail lending customer in the U.S. regional market were all beneficiaries of focused efforts from Encino professional services teams and certified system integration partners. As always, I'm deeply appreciative of the trust our customers and partners place in Encino, and I'm proud of the team's commitment, energy, and resolve as we continue to tell the story globally. David, can you take us to the numbers? 
Thank you, Josh, and thanks everyone for joining us this afternoon to review our third quarter fiscal 23 financial results. Please note that all numbers referenced in my remarks are on a non-GAAP basis unless otherwise stated. A reconciliation of comparable GAAP metrics can be found in today's earnings release, which is available on our website and as an exhibit to our Form 8K furnished with the SEC just before this call. We again delivered strong results for the third fiscal quarter. Total revenues were $105.3 million, an increase of 50% year-over-year, including a negative $2.3 million impact from FX. Subscription revenues for the third quarter were $88.3 million, an increase of 55% year-over-year, representing 84% of total revenues. Organic subscription revenues were $72.9 million, representing 28% year-over-year growth. Professional services revenues were $17 million in the quarter, representing 31% year-over-year. Professional services revenues included approximately $1.5 million of simple nexus services and other revenues. Non-U.S. revenues were $15.9 million, or 15% of total revenues in the third quarter, up 36% year-over-year, or 55% growth in constant currency. Non-GAAP gross profit for the third quarter of fiscal 23 was $68.6 million, an increase of 54% year-over-year. Non-GAAP gross margin was 65% compared to 64% in the third quarter of fiscal 22. Our gross margins again improved due to subscription product mix as enterprise and international customers comprise more of our revenues as well as the impact from subscription revenues being a larger contributor to total revenues. Non-GAAP operating income for the third quarter of fiscal 23 was $2.5 million with a $3.2 million loss in the third quarter of fiscal 22. Our non-GAAP operating margin for the third quarter was positive 2% compared with negative 4% in the third quarter of fiscal 22. As Pierre mentioned, this profitability was achieved through a more conservative approach to managing headcount, particularly in R&D and GNA, as well as savings on insurance and synergies from the Simple Nexus acquisition. Non-GAAP net loss attributable to Encino for the third quarter of fiscal 23 was negative 1.4 million or negative one cent per share compared to negative 3.7 million or negative four cent per share in the third quarter of fiscal 22. Our remaining performance obligation or RPO increased to 919.2 million as of October 31, 2022, up 28% over 717.7 million as of October 31, 2021, with 603.9 million in less than 24 months category of 43% from 420.9 million as of October 31, 2021. New and expansion sales contributed more to the sequential increase in RPO than renewals this quarter. Turning to cash. We ended the quarter with cash and cash equivalents of 111.8 million, including restricted cash. Net cash used in operating activities was negative 4.1 million, compared to negative 19.1 million in the third quarter of fiscal 22. Capital expenditures were 4.6 million in the quarter, resulting in free cash flow of negative 8.7 million for the third quarter of fiscal 23. During the quarter, we drew down approximately 30 million on our line of credit, as the fourth quarter is a seasonally slower period for customer collections. In providing Q4 guidance and updating our full year outlook, we are taking a few factors into account. First, longer sales cycles, particularly in Europe, 
Second, the state of the mortgage market, including elevated churn in the IMP space and simple nexus. And finally, a 2 to 3% negative revenue impact from FX. For the fourth quarter, we expect total revenues of $104 million to $105 million, with subscription revenues of $90 million to $91 million. This guidance assumes year-over-year subscription growth of 44% at the midpoint of our range, with approximately 28% organic subscription growth for the fourth quarter. As a reminder, the fourth quarter is typically seasonally slower for professional services revenues. Non-GAAP operating loss is expected to be approximately negative 3 million to negative 4 million, and non-GAAP net loss attributed to Encino per share to be negative 4 cents to negative 5 cents. This is based upon a weighted average of approximately 111 million basic shares outstanding. Note that we expect our non-GAAP operating loss in Q4 to be impacted by elevated payroll taxes, professional services fees, and additional investments in marketing technology and automation. For fiscal 23, we expect total revenues of $403 million to $404 million, with subscription revenues of $342 million to $343 million. This full year guidance assumes a year-over-year subscription growth of 52% at the midpoint of our range, with approximately 28% organic subscription growth. For Simple Nexus, we now expect full-year subscription revenues of approximately $59 million versus the $60 million we previously expected for the year. We are improving our non-GAAP operating loss guidance for fiscal 23 to negative 7 to negative $8 million. Non-GAAP net loss attributable to Encino per share is expected to be negative 15 to negative $0.17 cents per share based on a weighted average of approximately 110.5 million shares outstanding. We are proud of the financial milestones we achieved in the third quarter and remain focused on serving our customers and continuing to improve profitability. With that, we will open the line for questions. Certainly. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star 1-1 on your telephone. One moment as we compile our roster. One moment. And our first question comes from the line of Terry Tillman from Truist Securities. Your question, please. Yeah, thanks for taking my questions. Hi, Pierre, Josh, and David. Uh, a couple questions. One might be a multi-part question, so technically it could almost be three questions. But uh, it's good to see the profitability in the quarter at the operating line, operating profit line. Um, the first question that might be kind of twofold question or two-part is, David, on the $603.9 million, uh, for the current or 24 months uh, RPO, can, can you kind of double-click in terms of the organic growth and then the second part of this question is the simple nexus run rate. How do you think about that going into next year, given the independent mortgage brokers and, and the headwinds there? And then add a follow-up. Yep. On the RPO side, uh, organically, um, Encino grew total RPO by 18% and less than 24 months at 28% and the long term at 4%. And then on simple nexus run rate, we took our guidance down for simple nexus revenues from 60 million to 59 million. So we expect to see a slight decline sequentially into Q4 for subscription revenues from Simple Nexus. I think it's too early to look at next year given what we're seeing in the mortgage market. It's quite volatile right now. And so we are in the current currently in the planning stage and we will update you on Simple Nexus numbers for next year uh, when we report numbers for Q4. 
Understood. And just a follow-up question. I don't know if this is or who this is for, but uh, Pierre, really appreciate the some of the perspective for next year. And you typically don't guide, but those are some good kind of guardrails for us. I think the 20% growth and, and a potentially 10% EBIT margin. Are, are any of those kind of run rate dynamics, or is that actually kind of like that would be like for FY24? And is it assuming that maybe, you know, you just the seasonally strong four Q bookings it just it just doesn't play out like you typically would expect. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Terry. Um, you know, it's very early, and we're in the planning stages here. Uh, we look at um, simple Lexus and Europe, and those two combined make up 50% of our SAM. And if half of your market is um, has got serious headwinds, and you've got FX on top of that. Then you have to look at what that macro environment impact will be. Um, so 50% of your SAM is impacted, as I mentioned. Uh, our view was we're still in the planning stages. Um, we've not finalized the plans. The fourth quarter looks great. Um, our pipelines are healthy. So the demand for the product is there. Deals are not going away, but they are just uh, slower to close. Um, we don't see a slowdown in the U.S., but we are picking up a sentiment of caution. Um, which is different uh, than Europe, where we clearly see a slower decision-making and just like a mortgage. So, you know, you take all of that mixed bag and you put it in there, and we decided at this stage it's wise to um, give an indication to our investors of how we're thinking about next year. But it's early stages and planning. Understood. Thank you, and good luck. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And our next question comes from the line of Brent Breslin from Piper Sandler. Your question, please. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon. Um, despite the uh, the challenging macro here, it looks like organic CPR growth actually ticked up this quarter. Um, your Q4 guide here implies subscription growth organically will remain, I think, for the fourth consecutive quarter in this 28% range. So my question here is, uh, what is resonating um, with the platform, with banks at least willing to spend money here? Is it cost savings that's primarily still enticing some banks to continue to lean in on the software stack? Just be curious to uh, to, to hear any sort of color commentary on what's resonating, just given the consistency that we're seeing in, in subscription growth and, and the slight uptick in CRPO. Uh, yeah, first thing in general, Brent, thanks a lot for your question. Um, the platform approach that we take and digital transformation in general are compelling um, value propositions. Um, and, and it's very interesting, the drivers of, of digital transformation vary slightly as you go around the world market. As I mentioned before, when you look at Japan, there's an aging population and the reduction in the workforce. That is a massive issue for that economy. If you come down to Australia and New Zealand, it's more of a modernization, profitability drive. If you go to Europe, it's actually driven by compliance, regulation, etc., and visibility into their lending practices as well as ESG. And you come to the U.S. and it's profitability, market share, drivers, efficiency, cost uh, reductions, and compliance. So it varies, uh, and the emphasis is just slightly different in different places. But digital transformation is here to stay. Uh, banks know it's not a decision anymore. Uh, it's actually an impediment, and then some are leaders and some are laggards. Um, but that's what we're seeing in the market in general. So the trend for us for the long-term future is fantastic, and I see it in the pipeline. 
I just think we have to get through this slight sentiment of uncertainty um, as we get through the economic turmoil. Great. And then, David, just quick follow-up here as you think about kind of 20% growth next year to 10% uh, EBIT margins. Um, to the extent that, that, that business maybe starts to pick up, would you look to invest towards the back half of the year in, in hiring capacity for the following year? Or how are you kind of thinking about uh, the balancing kind of growth and, and profitability going forward? Yeah, our, our number of priority is growth. Um, we are committed to that rule of 30 model. Um, as we, because we're we're just starting planning now, we got an important Q4 in front of us, so it's early in the process. But um, we are looking um, to make investments as the market improves. So it's you know if, if the mortgage market improves, if FX turns, that could change that. But um, for now, we're planning on 20% revenue growth, and that would be 20% subscription, 20% total, and targeting that 10% margin uh, target for the year. Makes sense, and certainly encouraging to see the progress this quarter. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And our next question comes to the line of Brad Sills from Bank of America. Your question, please. Hi, uh, this is Carly on for Brad. I uh, just want to ask a follow-up on the macro. Um, I guess it's glad to hear that new and expansion momentum remains strong, but just curious, um, in the U.S., I guess, in particular, what are what you've been hearing from you know, your conversations with the CIOs on, you know, with regard to their willingness to take on these I guess, new digital transformation projects for loan uh, origination origination for uh, the upcoming quarter and, and also on um, the upcoming year, 2023. Um, yes. In, in the U.S., as I mentioned, um, we still see strong demand. We see good pickup. You have to divide the U.S. in two segments. Um, there's a community regional, which had a little hangover from COVID uh, because they were busy with triple P. Um, plus coming back to the office, et cetera. <clears throat> we see some nice progression on that front, and that market is, is performing well for us. On the enterprise side, it's more of a, um, a lumpy market because it's big deals, and they only come so often. But if you look at overall the IT spend and the, the budgets we've heard so far, it looks very positive. Um, however, as I mentioned earlier, there is a slight sentiment of caution creeping in where people just take a little bit longer to make a decision or scrutinize it a little bit deeper. Um, but we feel very good about the direction of the business. I also firmly believe in times like this that healthy companies with the uh, <clears throat> benefit of being able to show they can be profitable and growing um, actually can keep our investment levels high on product as well as our sales and marketing. And as such, we are keeping our coverage of our SAM on a global basis in place. And as soon as these markets turn, Encina will be the brand that is known for their customer service, for the quality of innovation, as well as market coverage. And, and that's how we plan to proceed. Yeah, thank you for that. Very helpful. I guess just a follow-up on uh, the non-U.S. performance. Uh, I guess it's, it's really positive to see that you guys landed the deal with, uh, you know, Bank of New Zealand and then also the U.K. expansion deal uh, seems impressive. But what are some other, I guess, outperformance um, in Europe, especially just any color that you could provide um, on a non-U.S. outperformance and yeah, any other, like, emerging areas, I guess? Yes, we see Asia-Pacific is strong. 
Um, South Africa is developing a nice market for us. Um, Europe overall is going through a very difficult time. As you may know, the energy crisis or price increases there. Um, the war of Ukraine is much of a real thing there. It, it's not far away from the home front when you talk to the people. So there clearly is a psychological impact. Um, there's a level of conservatism creeping in. Um, there's a, a different regulatory um, emphasis in Europe, as well as ESG is a bigger role. And, and so all of these different factors is putting Europe a bit more in a conservative mode as far as we can see. Um, we have optimized our organization there. We maintain the investment to keep the market coverage, um, and we see these deals slowly moving forward. So we are committed to the continent, and I am pleased uh, we've got marquee brand names there, and as that market loosens up, we will actually expand our footprint. Yeah, that makes sense. Thank you very much. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And our next question comes from the line of James Fawcett from Morgan Stanley. Hey, everyone. It's Michael and Fontan for James. Thanks for taking our questions. Um, appreciate there are a lot of moving pieces here, and you're still a couple months away um, in terms of your outlook formulation. But how should we sort of think about how conservative the directional commentary you provided on FY24 was, particularly given it looks like loan growth is expected to decelerate from roughly 12% this year to, to almost half that next year. We just wanted to sort of, sort of pressure test what you're seeing and, and sort of the relationship to loan growth broadly. Hey, I can speak to that. Uh, this is Josh. Uh, look, in uh, most of the commercial accounts that we serve, new credit um, is, is actually not the majority of the volume that they do within the commercial banks. Uh, most of the banks that we serve would see 50 to 75% of their loan volume would actually be renewals and modifications, and they also have to monitor that portfolio. Monitoring it is, is even more important uh, with the challenging economic environment. Because uh, at the end of the day, regardless of, of the environment, these banks are trying to do their best to balance risk and reward while growing as much as they can. So even if growth does slow, uh, they're going to want to run their banks efficiently. Right? They're going to want to minimize risk where they can and have transparency into their portfolios. And, and they're going to want to upside their reward as much as possible. So uh, our NIC offerings, pricing and profitability, uh, our auto-spreading offering obviously add a lot of value to those renewals and modif modifications and monitoring activities. Our portfolio analytics tool also also helps with visibility into the portfolio. So uh, we're confident in the value that, that we'll provide even if loan uh, volume does compress. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Josh. Um, maybe just one other one on, on Simple Nexus. I think it's Pretty impressive the central the sequential growth we're seeing there, just given all the data points that we're observing in the mortgage market, sort of speaks to the resilience of the model you guys have, have talked about previously. Um, I just wanted to quickly hit on the composition of, of contract duration there. Is there any particular skew we should be aware of between one, two, and three years? And then as a follow-up to that, um, you previously talked about you know elevated simple nexus churn in the back half. I was just curious how you know, renewal discussions have been have been faring for Simple Nexus in this environment. Yeah, what we see on Simple Nexus side, the contract duration, it really hasn't changed much. We see one to two years, and kind of averages about one and a half years. Um, that's not really changed. Um, we we are seeing a higher level of churn though in the business on the IMB side. And that's a little more volatile market for us. Um, you know, the the refis happened. You know, they corrected their cost structures. 
now the originators are correcting their cost structures, so we would assume that uh, churn will remain elevated for some time. Got it. Thanks, David. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And our next question comes from the line of Alex Gall from Raymond James. Your question, please. Uh, great. David, some nice OPEX leverage in the model again this quarter. As you're thinking about that 10% margin outlook for next year, how should we think about overall hiring plans? Do you think you can achieve kind of that level just through um, revenue growth and some mix improvements, or is there any kind of re uh, reevaluation on, on the hiring side? Yeah, we're still early in the planning process, as we said earlier. Um, we're looking at all costs, so it's not just headcount. We're looking at non-headcount-related costs as well. Um, we've, did a, we've done a nice job this year by moderating um, spending and, and headcount ads for the year to come down to the level that we're at. Uh, we, we will be looking to gain more efficiencies next year, though, Tim. Okay, great. And then, Pierre, Josh, just in terms of overall deal sizes, I know you've, you've been talking about some of the larger digital transformation-type deals that are in the pipeline. That Bank of New Zealand one, it's a nice one that just closed. How, how should we think about kind of the overall appetite, though, particularly in the U.S. for some of those larger digital transformation versus kind of smaller, quicker ones? Each of our segments, our deal sizes uh, are, are in line with where they've been. Uh, as Pierre commented earlier about uh, the, just the timing in the market, it's less of a, uh, a size impact than it is on a sales cycle duration impact from our perspective. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. Our next question comes from the line of Bob Nepali from William Blair. Your question, please. Hey, good evening, guys. This is a deep chattery on for Bob. Um, our first question was on, around gross margin. Could you kind of remind us and speak to your confidence of tracking towards your 70% gross margin target over time, um, some of the drivers that we might see this margin expansion from? Uh, I think in the past you've talked about international as being accretive to margins, but uh, that'd be helpful. Thank you. Yes, uh, we are still, you know, kind of a long-term model of 70%. Um, you know, we do have a product mix of benefits as we sell less to the community regional space. Uh, we have higher, higher margin on that business because we can bundle a Salesforce feed into that. Also, as we expand our NIC product offering, that's on AWS, um, and that comes at a much higher gross margin. Um, we will see efficiencies in support. Uh, we made a lot of investments on the support side. And then on the professional services side, you know, we would expect to see margins continue to improve as we look out over the next couple of years as well. Great. Thank you. And just for the follow-up, um, could you kind of give an update on some of the competitive dynamics in retail, um, I guess, since the last quarter, if they've changed at all meaningfully, uh, as well as any update on cross-sell of retail with commercial clients? Thanks. You know, our retail count is up 30% year over year. Um, the, the competitive landscape hasn't really changed there. It's a rapid replace market. Um, we're making good progress. Um, I believe our platform story is superior and people like that. It's a client-centric approach to banking. Um, so we are on track there and, and meeting and beating our expectations. Deposit account opening is up 25% year over year. Um, so that whole client-centric platform story is playing well with us. Um, we are finding our small business offerings to include a retail-like experience as well at the low end of small business. And all of those roadmaps, as people see what we are doing, 
and, and how we are client focused, helping the bank to actually get there and continue to invest in innovation. I think that innovation mindset is playing out in the market and is making us the preferred vendor. Um, so I feel good about those new products. Also, uh, we, we spoke about unprepared comments, but the, the validation points of the single platform deals, multiple community and regional accounts, those are those are really nice accounts uh, that came on board with our, our, our known commercial solution, but they also rolled in retail because they want to be able to connect with their customers, take care of them uh, really well across multiple products. Uh, from our perspective, that's a good validation point. Understood. Thanks very much. Thank you. And as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question at this time, please press star 11 on your telephone. And our next question comes from the line of Jason Adler from Adder, pardon me, from Moffitt, Nathanson SVB. Your question, please. Well, great. Thanks. Um, hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Um, the, the first one is on the pipeline. Um, so I, you're kind of seeing customers maybe – I understand take a little bit longer to sign the deals, but do you expect when the pipeline starts to build and there's a little bit of a backup or a backlog in there, have you seen customers in the past be anticipatory on the other side? You know, when things start to look a little bit better, do they do they go ahead and, and does the sales cycle start to actually contract? Or are these just conservative you know, uh, banks, and they wait for the post to be absolutely clear before they start uh, resuming normal transactions again. Um, you know, I would say, remember, we started the company in 2012, um, and so we've been on a uh, quite a phenomenal economic run from 12 to 22 in a in a interest rate environment that was very low uh, with a roaring economy. Um, <clears throat> In, in a previous life, I've experienced going through 08, 09, 10, 11, 12, um, selling to banks, etc. And what you'll find is initially there'll be a pause to get uh, a full understanding of the market landscape. And then very quickly, the ones who stop investing realize they're going to fall behind, and then it comes back. Okay, I've seen this in the financial crisis. I expect the same thing to happen right now. And people regret when they start putting these um, investments on hold because they're competitive. People talk a lot about competition to banking coming from the outside banks, and I remind bankers all the time, they've got a massive uh, benefit over any other industry coming in there because of the cost of funding, because they have the cheap deposit. And so your biggest competition in banking is another bank. And if the other bank in your town or your city is innovating and driving in, in, um, innovation through technology, then you better keep up. So I believe this is short-term pause year or a slowdown or a caution, which is normal, but it always come back. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. And then um, just on the segment outlook for, for next year, um, what kind of, you know, mortgage banker or, you know, loan origination officer headcount growth is baked into that, that rule of 30? Do you expect things get worse, better, same thing. Yeah, we're, um, we're very early stages of planning. As you can imagine, we're in beginning December, January. <clears throat> we're going to see how that market evolves over the next few months. And, and we cannot comment yet um, what's going to happen to that mortgage market. You see how the markets react just based on current, uh, on Powell's um, comments today. So, so we have to see how that develops uh, before we finalize our plans. 
Okay. All right. That's fair. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And our next question comes from the line of Nick Altman from Scotiabank. Your question, please. Great. Thanks, guys. Um, just wanted to ask a question about the margins next year. You know, over the past couple of quarters, you guys have made comments around how the core Encino business is profitable today and investments into Simple Nexus were really the drag on margins. So I guess with that 10% target for next year in mind, is there any way to sort of parse out the margin profile between core and CNO versus simple nexus? For next year, the 10%, we're going to look at the business as a whole, and we'll make decisions as, as a company as a whole, not by segment. Simple nexus did, uh, is going to lose money this year, and Encino is profitable, legacy business. Um, if you take it like the next layer, um, I think Simple Nexus would have to get break even. We, I think we were greatly positioned there. We have the number one product in the space. The mortgage market will return, um, so we don't want to leave uh, the market or any opportunity for the competition to catch up with us. So the idea is to maintain investments as we can and look as we start seeing the market return to normal, um, invest more money, and just be better positioned coming out of this. Great. Thanks. And, and then just maybe one for Josh. Just given the challenging demand environment, uh, how are you sort of thinking about making go-to-market tweaks heading into next year? Or are there maybe plans in place to shift sales resources into the upsell side, you know, given that new customer um, side of the equation might be a little bit more difficult or, or maybe kind of focus on smaller, higher velocity deals with, with shorter sales cycles? Just any commentary around, you know, go-to-market tweaks, maybe that you're planning for it heading into next year, just given the, the macro backdrop would be really interesting. Thanks. Absolutely. And I would say uh, I'll start with international. Look at the proof points that we that we hit earlier. Great wins in New Zealand, uh, go lives in in Japan, in Germany. Expansion within London, a go live in Canada. Uh, we we are committed to the countries that we're in, so we're going to make sure we're there to help those customers succeed and continue to uh, to to continue running at the opportunity in those markets. Uh, within the U.S., uh, we don't we don't do hunter farmer. Uh, from our perspective, it makes sense to have one account executive that covers the account for the long run uh, sets us up for better expansion and, and, and longer-term relationships. So uh, we don't intend to do any major changes there. Uh, we're going to play the long game with those accounts uh, and ensure that just as they're going to want to come out of the other side of any headwinds stronger, we'll, we'll be there with them. Yeah, I would like to emphasize that uh, even as we're going into a profitable growth company, our posture will always be to favor growth. Um, we believe market share gains is important for our long-term health as well as long-term profitability. When you look at our footprint in these strategic accounts, 23 of the, the top 50, um, a lot of those were, were conversations that have played out over time, um, and we're going to make sure we're there for them. Great. Thank you. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And our next question comes from the line of Josh Beck from KeyBank. Your question, please. Thank you, King, uh, for, for taking the question. You know, I wanted just to ask a little bit higher level about, you know, the visibility that you have going into the next fiscal year. Obviously, you benefit from multi-year, you know, time-based milestone types of contracts. Uh, so I feel like, in general, that gives you pretty good visibility 
However, you know, the macro is very fluid. We certainly talked about European sales cycle, churn and simple nexus and FX. So I guess my question is like, as we go through <clears throat> Q4, you know, what are going to be some of the really key items, you know, is it U.S. sales cycles? Is, is it what happens with mortgage rates? You know, what are going to be some of the key um, items that you're tracking to kind of maybe get a little more precision about how fiscal 2-4 could, could play out? I would say, um, firstly, we're in the planning stages, and as you can imagine, we track all these variance factors um, literally on a daily and a weekly basis. But the U.S. keep on performing. I would say I would love to see FX stabilize and improve in our favor. That will be a great little bonus. Um, <clears throat> secondly, um, if we get any indication that mortgage rates have topped out and start coming down, you're going to see um, refi volumes go back up, and you're going to see people get like a new lease on life in the mortgage business, and, and that will just rip that market open, okay? And then realize this. Those companies who then is going to expand by using tools like Simple Nexus will actually buy from stable financial companies that's profitable and has proven that they do their development and their work in the U.S. And then finally, I think the European um, story is a bit longer term. Um, we've got some great customers there and great prospects, um, but I, I would say that is the, the third one that probably could be on the upside as that environment improves, uh, but I can't see around corner. Okay, that, that's very helpful. And then, you know, just in terms of maybe how banks are approaching, you know, at least the next calendar year for them, obviously, you know, things like unemployment, uh, things like credit losses have all, have all been pretty um, actually encouraging uh, thus far this calendar year. We, we heard from uh, Credit Karma yesterday that, you know, banks to some degree at maybe the lower end of the market, kind of near prime and below, are starting to, to be a little more conservative with respect to their marketing budgets, which are obviously very discretionary. So when they, you know, are maybe kind of to, to be um, prepared, you know, let's say for, for whatever the scenarios are next year, you know, where would you rank, um, you know, the priority around modernizing certainly some of their, you know, loan and, and deposit, you know, account uh, systems, maybe versus other investment initiatives at, at some of the banks? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, digital transformation is um, an imperative long-term. And most banks that we talk to do not ask us why we justify to do it anymore. They just want to know how to get there because it is difficult, you know, to take out all the systems change processes, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> so I would say that the demand will be there. The question is whether they prioritize it. Um, I would also tell you that um, whether we like it or not, the way to get inflation under control is at some point to get the labor market under control. And that will impact the consumer, which will impact consumer credit. Uh, and we'll, uh, I need to wait and see, because the banks we talk to will all tell you that they are well capitalized and that their credit risk is in good place. So it must be somebody else, um, which is, of course, interesting. Somewhere somebody is going to pay the price. Uh, we see some caution, like I mentioned, a, a, a cautious sentiment, but I don't see in the U.S. 
necessarily a slowdown yet. And we, and we just don't see a lot of banks telling us today that they want a more manual process or that they want uh, less digital engagement with their customers. So uh, the, the long-run opportunity is still there. Very helpful. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. One moment for our next question. And as a reminder, ladies and gentlemen, if you do have a question at this time, please press star 1-1. One, one. Our next question comes from the line of Sakakalia from Barclays. Your question, please. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my questions here and, uh, and fitting me in. Um, Pierre, maybe, maybe for you, great to see the, the Bank of New Zealand win. You know, I'm wondering, as you've made more headway internationally, are you starting to see any of the changes are you starting to see any changes in the sales cycles and, and competitiveness of those deals? Uh, I guess I'm just curious because you've had multiple wins now in, in numerous international markets. So I wonder if it's just getting easier and, and maybe what type of competition you're seeing. Hey, Sackett. Uh, this is Josh. Yeah, we, we see lots of banks that want to be early, but very few that are willing to be first. So getting that first uh, press release out, uh, getting that first go live uh, helps us go to that, that market with the story. Uh, based on banks that look and feel a lot like our prospect being live and enjoying Encino. So it absolutely helps. Yeah, and if you look at, you know, these are critical mass countries, okay? If you look at New Zealand now, we've got critical mass and then the deals come. You look at Canada, um, you won one, two, three, and then boom, you, we've got the majority of the banks, okay? Um, and, and the difference between the U.S. and internationally is I have to win each of those countries because it's only in-country is referenceable. You know, uh, Australia and New Zealand may be slightly an exception, but the Germans want to see that other German banks are successful. We've got a great example, but now we have to get that market to accelerate. But the markets where we have that critical mass, like New Zealand and Canada, absolutely. South Africa is coming around. We've got two, three customers there now. The UK is like that. <clears throat> but we would still like to see France, Spain, Germany, etc. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. David, maybe maybe for you for my follow-up, can, can you just talk about the health of, of underlying bookings in, in, in the quarter? I mean, clearly the visibility on revenue is super high. Uh, you know, you gave a, a, a helpful framework for how to think about revenue growth for next year. But I'm curious, how are the leading indicators looking now, qualitatively, of course, for, for just revenue growth drivers in the future? Does that make sense? That does, uh, and we do not disclose bookings, but I can talk about sales activity. Um, so sales activity in the quarter, despite um, Europe being slow, we had some FX impact um, and simple nexus. It was pretty much in line with our expectation. We talked about this earlier about the year, you know, we, we returned to a more normal um, cycle in terms of sales for the year, where the second half is higher weighted um, than we saw the last couple of years during COVID. So Q4 this year will be our biggest quarter of the year. But activity in the third quarter was pretty much in line with our expectations. Very helpful. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question. Just one moment for our, our final question for today. And our final question for today comes from the line of Charles Nivhan from Stevens. Your question, please. Great. Good afternoon, and thank you for uh, for fitting me in. So my question is on the impact of the elongated sales cycles and the delays in decision-making on your existing customer base. So I would imagine it's more pronounced on potentially new deals, but, you know, land and expand has been really the, the centerpiece of your strategy. So I'm curious 
in terms of what you're seeing within your existing customer base, um, in terms of a reluctance or, or an acceptance to expand existing existing relationships. And I guess sort of as a follow-up to that, to put a finer point on it, I'm curious what that could potentially mean for net retention uh, net retention levels and, and um, ACV expansion going forward. Absolutely, and we, we do value those customer relationships and where uh, in the Encino journey we have seen headwinds, we find that those customer uh, conversations are the easiest to keep going. Uh, so we continue to see uh, ongoing success and proof points of our ability to cross-sell uh, cross these solutions. We talked about adding retail and DAO into a $7 billion bank uh, in Hawaii. We added uh, CPP into a New Zealand enterprise account. This one we're particularly proud of. That was a competitive deal and a fantastic account. Uh, we're also seeing, despite everything we've discussed for mortgage, uh, good validation of, of Simple Nexus's value in the bank market, right? Five cross-sales into Encino banks and credit unions. Um, and frankly, those are, are larger deals than we would sell into IMBs. So um, we feel that is uh, something that we'll continue to, to focus on. And we always aspire, uh, because we, we deliver for our accounts, to be continued to those conversations from a, from a position of success and partnership. Got it. And just as a quick follow-up, and I apologize if I missed this somewhere, but can you talk about LBAWARE and um, the impact or contribution they'd ha that had to Simple Nexus as, as well as, you know, what you're seeing in that business in terms of traction? Yeah, I mean, we've had some cross-sales into the base of Encino, uh, but we don't have any more details. We're going to break down details because that really is integrated into the Simple Nexus platform now. Um, and so that's all the detail we can get. And we also see that yeah. as a real differentiator for them. You look at six competitive takeaways. Um, you look at the, the logos that they're adding, even this challenge marketing is because of that, that fantastic package, uh, not just a POS, but the full home buying journey and integrated tools like LBA where it helps them differentiate. Got it. Thank you very much. Thank you. This does conclude the question and answer session of today's program. I'd like to hand the program back to Pierre Nadet for any further remarks. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for attending today. Thank you for your support. Um, and we appreciate you attending today. You have a great day. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your participation in today's conference. This does conclude the program. You may now disconnect. Good day.